0: Jim, I want to thank you for taking time out of a obviously extremely busy day, month, and year that you've had running IRSCI. You were kind enough a few years ago when you joined, or not joined, when you first went into role to talk to us about uh, some of your priorities. And uh, while we have connected over the past couple of years and with your staff as well, we haven't had a chance to catch back up with you. So what I wanted to do today is get your sense of some of the the highlights and challenges that you and your agency faced in 2023, and then get your take on some of the things the AML CTF community can continue to be aware of for 2024. So, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Now, John, as always, thank
1: you uh, for all your support and for setting this up and always giving me a platform to uh, talk about the division that I've been with for almost 29 years here. and. You know, really, just to you know promote uh, the great work that my team here at IRSCI is doing, and and yeah, we uh, I do have some highlights for twenty twenty three, uh, some updated BSA data that uh, I just hit uh, hit send on. Um, matter of fact, you're the first person I'm really talking to about it. But um, you know, let me let me let me get into some of the you know annual report from twenty twenty three, and this is out there and it's posted. And, you know, we, we posted this, yeah, it's probably be late November. And um, But before I get into it, you know, I could not be more proud, you know, of the tenacity of our special agents, our investigative and administrative analysts. I mean, we've got communication specialists, you know, uh, all types of personnel here within the division that make CI tick and, and continues to carry out, you know, our incredibly important mission. On the on behalf of the American public, and and the stats and the outstanding case examples—I mean—they're just a testament to to that dedication, which I'll probably say a couple of times. So, a couple key key takeaways from 23. I'll start there, and please stop me, uh, John. uh, Sure, go ahead, please, please, yes. Very successful year, fiscal year 23. We identified uh, about 36.9 billion dollars in tax fraud and other financial crimes. Um, that exceeded our 22-year. The uh, number's a little bit of a misnomer. That's probably much higher, but that is the, the amount of fraud we identified that we recommended to DOJ for prosecution. Another highlight from the report, digital data seized. We're really tracking this now like a lot of companies are when it comes to data. I mean, that's the, that's the world we live in. But we seized, just seizures alone, about 1.71 petabytes of digital data and um, you know I, I, that's equivalent to like hundred and seventy printed libraries of Congress or kind of a new metric that I got another way to say it. it's about eleven point four billion d- photos uploaded on um, on Facebook just a way to kind of put that in context um, seizures you know we had some anomaly seizures last year um, that uh, with the crypto but well right on pace We we again lead uh, you know, Treasury agencies, uh, you know, year in and year out, we're pretty close to HSI. But this year we seized about $271 million and significant. Um, and again, we're significant tri- uh, contributors to T off year in, year out. And then something that I say every year and anybody at, at an IRCI, this is probably one of our most um, proud of, you know, type metrics or statistics, our conviction rate. We were north of 88% year uh you know 88 conviction rate again this year um we're usually writing that 88 to 90 percent that simply means if you're getting the here as an irs special agent it's highly probable you're going to go to jail and that, that 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 again that's a rate that remains incredibly high in um federal law enforcement
0: hey jim jim, so, just, um, uh, jim just on that point um i think a lot of people have the misperception that um, you know the IRS goes after all sorts of individuals, regardless of uh, whether they've committed criminal acts and tax evasion or what have you. But the eighty-eight percent is a very compelling number for the obvious reasons that you obviously you understand, and that is that you are passing along to prosecutors cases that end up successful because you're not bringing cases. On a, a mistaken filing or a late filing, Th- these are either companies or individuals, based on your agent's analysis, that have intentionally, in in many cases, tried to avoid paying what some call their fair share of taxes. So I think you know when you hear these commercials about the IRS is going to take your house and take your car and you know, garnish your salary, what uh, people fail to understand is. The commitment that your professionals have to ensuring that when cases are brought, they're not only just serious cases, they're well-crafted. So I think that's a very compelling number that, you know, maybe your folks don't say enough, but it's up to us in the public to better understand that. So I think that's a pretty valuable metric, and I think it's important for people to appreciate.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, no, thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure everybody here in the division uh, uh, will love hearing you say that um, because yeah, you do understand you got it spot on um, that 88. Cause I think something that's important for folks to remember is, you know, well, yes, we are the only federal law enforcement agency that can investigate, investigate and recommend federal income tax violations, but we're also the only federal agency that spends 100% of our time on, Financial uh, investigations in general say, so I'll bring in the, uh, the Title 31 statutes and the Title 18 money laundering statutes. You know, so that 88% is across all uh, financial cases that we work. For tax alone, um, it, the, actual, the rate's actually higher. And that is due to the professionalism that we look at. When you talk about specific you know, federal income tax violations, I'm not interested in people that make a mistake. I'm right. looking for folks that are willfully non-compliant. Now, an overwhelming majority of the public is, is is very compliant. They just they just they're just trying to get it right. And it's our we we provide that deterrent effect. You know, to give confidence to the American public that you know those that are willfully non-compliant, you know, there's a consequence for that, and the consequence is going to jail, and far different than paying a uh, paying a fine to resolve an issue.
0: Hey, one other one other quick question on the seizures. That's another uh, compelling number. Where, uh, in general, where do those funds go? So, when you seize these assets uh, after a successful prosecution, I know it may depend on the case, but in general, where where do the funds go?
1: Yeah, this is probably uh, we could probably have a podcast just on this topic alone. <laughs> but right. uh, I think uh, generally speaking, when we when IRS CI is the seizing agency, we uh, when we seize funds, we send it over uh, to the Treasury Executive Office of Asset Forfeiture, you know, within Treasury. And then, obviously, uh, what happens is there is a uh, the work's not done just because you seize it. Um, then, then that asset, whether it's you know, uh, you know some type of property uh, or vehicle or Jewelry, uh, sometimes livestock, uh, and any type of medium, you know, you know, crypto, you know, fiat currency, you know, there's a there's a litigation process, and once that is successful, the um, that those funds are then forfeited. Then, at that point in time, what happens is. You know, if there are victims involved, people can make claim to that money and or we advertise it and sell it. And then, again, that that fund in general helps the government, law enforcement, specifically our division, go back and ask for portions of it. But it's 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 fractional compared to the overall amount that we contribute every year to it.
0: Got it. So, yeah, go Go ahead with some of the other highlights.
1: Yeah. A couple other quick uh, highlights. I mean, we we initiated over twenty six hundred criminal investigations this year, um, you know, about 70% of that, um, is tax or tax related. Um, the remaining investigations, you know, focus on uh, other financial crimes tied to criminal activity, like narcotics, bank secrecy, and all types of predicate acts involving money, money laundering. And these numbers are very much in line, you know, with prior years, um, couple, you know, big successes away from my lens, you know, for the division that had significant, you know, domestic and international publicity, Mark Jetway in, uh, in March of 23, uh, he was convicted of various tax violations, you know, making false statements to the IRS, failing to fail, failing to disclose offshore accounts, failing to file tax returns. And in late 23, he was actually sentenced like 86 months, uh, in prison, um, essentially, what 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 this case was about is concealing ownership and control over offshore assets uh, in excess of like 93 million dollars.
0: Um,
1: we had another uh, significant tax investigation. It was a company, Washiki Renewable Energy. Essentially, the um, uh, the individuals there were making false claims for fuel excise taxes. You know, claiming about 1.1, or actually exceeding. Tax credits uh, uh, of 1.1 billion dollars, and you know all all defendants pled guilty. There was a trial, which resulted in a guilty verdict, and but but five folks were sentenced. Uh, it's probably mid 2023, ranging from 72 to 480 months. Again, significant sentence. Um, and then we had one other case. Uh, yeah, I'll mention um, a Yodeli, Ariesukan. Uh, this is out west. This is a, a pretty big sentence. Four hundred and eight months in federal prison. Essentially, what this person did is, you know, you know they coordinated a, a scheme to file. It was just north of seventeen hundred false tax returns, claiming about nine million dollars in refunds. I think about two million was paid out, but it was orchestrated, you know, just outside of Paris. So there's numerous. More just like this, you know, I work for the IRS, so I gave you some tax ones here, but I just can't say enough about, you know, that tremendous work. I think, you know, a lot of federal agencies are still looking at various types of COVID fraud. In right. 23, uh, you know, well, we were too. Um, I think, you know, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm really proud of the efforts here. I think since the beginning of the pandemic, we've initiated, you know, north of 1,400 criminal investigations, You know, we're nearing 700 indictments Um, on those cases alone. There's a 98 percent conviction rate. Um, So we're really making a difference, you know, by helping ensure that that money goes where it was intended to go. Um, I think, you know, uh, an interesting statistic there. This is at the end of the fiscal year of 23. Um, The average sentence imposed. uh, We got about 300 cases as of that uh, end of fiscal year. Um, that were actually adjudicated all the way through sentencing. And the average sentence is about three years. So again, the judges are, you know, it's demonstrating that judges don't take that crime lightly. I think another kind of hot topic within, within the IRS enterprise uh, and IRS criminal investigation being part of that enterprise, one thing we're t- are these um, uh, employee retention credits. You know, we're in that space as well. Um, we've initiated geez, it's, it's well north of 300 investigations, you know, um, for those tax years 20 through 23. We've got, you know, about eight of them have, re, uh, have resulted in convictions, about four which have been sentenced, you know, so we're definitely, you know, in that space, you know, doing our part, you know, to help the, the service, you know, promote voluntary compliance. I think another thing that your audience would be interested in, I know I've talked about our J Five uh, international relationship um, in the past and and one of oh. the things that um, you know we just did uh, we have for the J Five you know we, and again for, for those that may not know the Joint Chiefs of Global Tax Enforcement and other financial crimes I mean it's my counterparts in Australia Canada UK Netherlands U um, S of course we do what we call we, we call this initiative, it's called the challenge. Okay. And it really, the, the, the importance of this and significance can't be overstated. And um, some of your audience may know, but those that don't, during a challenge, you know, we sit and bring together public and private partner experts from each country. Think of like, um, you know, investigators, data scientists, analysts, you know, men and women, you know, with very unique skill sets. You know they gather, you know, with a mission of leveraging real data from a variety of uh, open and investigative s- uh, sources within each country that we're legally uh, allowed to share, um, and and we tell them we need to produce results. And what I what I mean by results is we need to sit down and produce operationally that impact every jurisdiction, and and that's what they do. We we just did the fifth one. Uh, we did it in Ottawa uh, in October. Um, That challenge focused on digital assets within financial institution reporting documents, um, which is real relevant to your your audience, and then public data sets revolving around uh, digital assets. So I think the one thing that was unique this year about this public-private partnership challenge is partners from each FIU jurisdiction attended – and private partners help out as well. Think of uh, like these reg tech comes like Chainalysis. You know, we're part of this challenge, you know, this year. So when I say they produce results, they did just that. Uh, they do this every time. This was the fifth one. They produced well north of 50 investigations. I'm being general with that number 50 because if I give an exact number, um, you know, not all leads turn into investigations but uh, well north of 50 and high impact leads that, that have cross-jurisdictional representation. You know, think of things like um, dark net marketplaces, child exploitation, you know, pig, pig book butchering schemes. So these are all significant areas for law enforcement because they have real impacts and not just on tax administration, but on real victims, you know, and these are horrendous crimes. So Again, very much uh, in tune to our international partnerships, got to have it these days, public and private. So, you know, I I guess maybe that's what I'll touch on, but in my humble opinion, you know, government can make no better investment than to invest in IRS criminal investigation special agent, because not only do we promote deterrence and confidence within the tax system, but you know, daily we're working with our federal p- counterparts and spending 100% of our time on financial cases. So we really play a significant role in protecting the integrity of the entire financial system.
0: Hey, Jim, l- l- let me build off of your comment on partnership. So the J5 partnership, very, uh, also very compelling, as you say, data scientists, folks from, uh, uh, the reg tech industry, the fintech industry. Let's go back to sort of the basics, though, in terms of your agents partnering with uh, traditional banks, a big, small, mid-sized uh, institutions. I know from decades of working with uh, agents that they're great at doing training with uh, bankers, explaining through typologies and case studies what to look for. Give us a sense of that. Commitment. You, you do a ton of outreach yourself, but so do your agents, and I think it's important because certainly the BSA officer in the U.S. completely recognizes the value of IRS uh, CI to the work they do, uh, whether it's through SAR review teams or just simply acting on a suspicious activity report that's been submitted that the agents your agency is working on. Give us a sense of that partnership and how it continues. To evolve, it's been strong, but it continues to get stronger. And and what um, recommendations do you have for, let's say, a brand new BSA officer for any size institution in terms of their outreach to your agency? What would you advise them to do?
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is something that uh, you know. Again, because we're financial investigators, all financial crimes, we rely on those AML specialists out there. And I, I know I've said this, uh, I've been very vocal about this. Um, and I've, I've, I've actually been in, engaged in a lot of speaking events revolving around, you know, that feedback. Let me start there. And, you know, uh, if if you don't mind, John, and, you know, again, this is that, you know, industry, financial institutions, you know, well uh, banks especially have wanted that feedback loop, <clears throat> you know, why is this information, what are you doing with it? Why is it so important? Um, you know, for quite some time. And last year for the 22 year, uh, we, we did it for the first year. We took a crack at giving some of that feed loop. And I, uh, I just sent out our updates for fiscal year 23. And, What I often say, especially the AML crowd, um, you know, uh, BSA data in general, um, all of it, it's not a nice to have, it's a must have. I've repeated that over and over and over. And it's a must have because we need it to help identify those individuals that are committing all these financial crimes, you know, tax and other. You know, so AML specialists are really the first line of defense here to detect illegal and suspicious activities of financial crimes. There's a lot of overlap, right, between tax and money laundering. I often say that, you know, money laundering is tax evasion in progress. I mean, that's why we have, you know, this broad authority over financial investigations, um, you know, we have. So I, again, just like last year, we repeated it this year. My expectation is we're going to repeat this every year and continue it. But a team got together, looked at the data that we had, and came up with some metrics to start this feedback conversation. And so I guess let me give you some of those um, for 23. And, and, and again, when I say BSA filings and BSA data, you know I mean information from all filings. So right. we're talking forms 8300, CMIR reports, you know all the different types of CTRs, Fbars, SARS, everything, right? So when I make some of these comments, keep in mind, I'm talking about all filings. So I think in um, fiscal year uh, 23, uh, again, we actually, uh, personnel with an IRS criminal investigation conducted more than 1.9 million searches, okay? So that's about 38,000 a week, about 165,000 a month. And I'm not shocked by that because we are financial investigators and 100% Percent of our time is spent on financial investigations. So we're using this data. Strategic investments here in tech has really increased efficiency in reviewing DSA data, you know, along with other data sets that we connect it with, which we're legally entitled to have. So again, a lot of use there. Um, I think another metric that we looked at in fiscal year 23, um, you know, personnel with an IRS CI searched the BSA data on right around 90% of every investigation that we have in inventory. And again, that's significant, demonstrating that not only do we use the BSA data set, but we understand how important that information is to a financial investigation. Uh, uh, Here's another, uh, I think, a really promising, I mean, it really gives some feedback to BSA uh, compliance, you know, folks out there. About 13.9% of every investigation that I put into inventory during fiscal year 23 was a direct result of a BSA filing. That's all forms. That was the source of the uh, information. And I, I always try to put this in context. It's significant. It, it's a significant part of my investigative inventory year in and year out. That's new inventory. Um, and that can't be overstated in the context I like to give. I mean, you know, we're a division within a very large enterprise, but we only get about 5% of our cases from the rest of the service. I've got about almost 14% this year directly from the BSA data. You know, basically, basically supporting my comment that our BSA mission is is a significant part of what we do. And uh, by popular demand or, you know, as I've been out, John, uh, talking to folks in the AML world, you know, they would ask me, hey, well, what about this? Can you give me this? In listening, here's a couple of things that AML specialists around the country have said to myself and my leadership team and agents around the country. You know, of that data set, of that, you know, roughly 14%, about 64% of that had a tax charge associated with the investigation. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily mean it was taxed, but they had a tax yeah. charge associated with it. Um, the remainder, uh, remaining of it was pure money laundering, essentially. Another thing they asked, well, what kind of cases are coming out of that? So about 165 half, almost 17% of that data set was uh, SBA loans. Oh. I mean, there, there were investigations uh, revolving some type of, uh, you know, uh, well, a COVID fraud an SBA loan. Um, about 7% of that data set were skimming-type investigations. About 3% were virtual currency um, investigations that we initiated as a result of BSA information. And another question your AML specialists out there um, asked me, well, well, what forms are you talking about? Well... Yeah, uh, in, in that data set, about 90% came from SARS. About 9% came from CTRs. Now, you've got, you've got some very small fractions of the other forms, but that's how that data set panned out. You know, another interesting stat, just another way to look at information, about 87, just north of 87% of every investigation, new investigation I put in the inventory, had a BSA filing associated with the, the primary target. You know, so this is significant and relates to all financial investigations and program areas we're responsible for. And again, that's, you know, tax, uh, other related financial crimes, namely money laundering, bank secrecy, narcotics, public corruption, terrorist financing, money crimes, which is just about everything other than random acts of violence. So, again, very uh, uh, good feedback, I'd like to say, for your AML you know, community. And I do have a number of other stats. Maybe I'll give you one more, because this, this is one that a lot of folks seem to be interested in. This is really an average over the past three years, so fiscal year 21, 2, and 3. We found um, that an average about just north of 85% of every investigation that we recommend for prosecution has a primary subject with a related BSA filing. Again, this is just another data set. We're drilling down, trying to further, you know, uh, see, well, what does this mean to us? Um, um, and we did drill down. And of that data set, about 40% has been completely adjudicated all the way through sentencing. And the average sentence was about 39 months, about $629 million in asset forfeiture. And again, we still have, though, about $7.4 in asset seized. That was dominantly, you know, those couple, two or three cases of uh, digital assets. So, you know, our goal moving forward is to continue doing a better job, you know, feeding this feedback loop because it's important, you know, due to the emphasis we're putting on public-private partnerships. My plan is to have the division continue to refresh these metrics, continue to build additional metrics into this based on what we're hearing from the AML specialists and what's important and that we can actually uncover. And I got some other, I got some additional, maybe I'll I'll close this BSA part with this. We do have some additional phases coming based on listening to the feedback that we're getting. Um, I want to challenge the IRS enterprise to come up with similar, similar metrics. Um, you know, we have a BSA section with the enterprise. I want them to come up with some metrics. Um, I want to compare, you know, the average time it takes to complete a case During an investigation that had BSA data available versus one that didn't. See if I can learn anything there. I think it's an easy fix. It's manual, but I I can come up with this relatively quickly in future phases. I want to. I want to talk about the types of financial institutions making these impactful filings. You know, I think. um,
0: I think. I hate to interrupt on that one. I think that's important because uh, some of the misconceptions has been okay. Traditional banks do what they have to do, in part because they know they have to, but also because there's regulators overseeing it. But fintechs and MSBs, they have obligations as well. And then I'm personally hoping we'll eventually see antiquities dealers having some requirements to file BSA data, art dealers. So I think doing a statistical analysis of where it's coming from is actually uh, going to both be a good advocacy tool for those of us that think more, you know, real estate, investment advisor, you name it, right? There's so many that have financial footprints that I would argue are not, they're not pulling their weight in the uh, anti-financial crime space. So I, I would say, Jim, that that, that would be welcome metrics uh, if you can get that started.
1: No, I, I I love it, and I'm, I'm 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 writing that down as we speak. I, gosh, and think about I we're gonna we're gonna break down the SARS. You know, um, you know, looking at the most helpful boxes being checked and giving that feedback to financial institutions. You know, look, I I think it, we may learn something about you know um, specific to banks. Um, you know, the size of the bank. You know, can we see if if it's the top fifteen banks or smaller banks making the majority of these filings and oh, major geographical, uh, geographic themes, you know, uh, SARS being selected, uh, you know, in big fi- are they being selected in big financial centers? Are they spread throughout the U.S.? And when we have this data, um, right. it's just a lot of it's a manual process, so it takes time, effort, and resources. But we're going to do it, and we're going to continue to listen to those AML specialists out there, you know, for this type of feedback. Uh, I've got a running list. I could go on and on, but I think I'll close <laughs> on that piece with um, – I just want to thank all of those AML specialists for all the hard work. This data is critical to financial investigators and financial investigations within IRS criminal division. And I'll speak for my other federal uh, counterparts as well. And I know in confidence they're going to say the same thing. Um, So it's definitely just as important to them. And it's a huge part of our success. So a giant thank you to all you folks out there helping helping out so uh, well uh, yeah
0: <laughs> I, I i appreciate that i think that's so important let me get you out of here on this and i know we could go for a while but just quickly what are what do you see as the continued or maybe new challenges for financial anti-financial crime practitioners for 2024 both within your agency but also in the private sector i mean i know we're going to, have to deal with you know, cybersecurity issues and and obviously continued fraud, sadly, because that never seems to uh, abate at all. But what do you see as some of the uh, priorities, both for the agency, but also for our community going forward?
1: Yeah, gr- great question. And I will. Um, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Um, and this is this is you know relatively hot off the press. Um, you know, the U.S. Treasury Department's announced the launch of a new. Uh, counter fentanyl strike force to combat the trafficking of illicit fentanyl, you know, into the country. And um, this new uh, uh, strike force is actually being chaired by the Undersecretary of Treasury, um, Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, TFI, and myself um, here at IRSCI. Um, So this strike force, this Treasury strike force, is going to allow us to bring you know, really, the Treasury Department's you know unrivaled expertise in fighting financial crime to 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 attack, address this deadly epidemic. And I think mean, uh, Secretary Yellen made a comment uh, very similar to that, if not uh, right, right on point. Um, we're going to use every tool at our disposal to help disrupt the ability of drug traffickers to you know, peddle this, you know, in our country. So think about uh, what's really going to do is bring together um, personnel, expertise, intelligence across Treasury, you know, IRS being a bureau of the Treasury Department, but other key units as well that specialize in financial crimes. So we got IRSCI, we got FinCEN, we got OFAC, you know, the Office of Intelligence and Analysis, Office of Terrorist Finance and Financial Crimes. You know, we're going we're gonna to come together um, uh, and bring all of our resources together to help fight uh, this epidemic. So much more to come on that um, because I do have some ideas uh, uh, within the division here to help and you know, get our private partners to h- help us out there. So more to come on that. I think, you know, sanctions are still out there, John, as you know. Sure. Um, we, we've, we've, we've recently, well, not recently, I mean we've identified shell companies, both foreign and domestic, you know, facilitate sanctions evasion. Um, and what we're seeing you know, in the uh, avionics and electronics industries, especially, and um, you know, some of the international, you know, the overseas companies—they you know, never touched U.S. soil. But you know, through correspondent banks, we're able to identify or trace these transactions. But it's slow and it's cumbersome. So, um, I guess in that sanctions space too. I mean, obviously, you know, we are uh, um, leading the way in our digital asset uh, investigation. And um, we've identified and targeted, you know, crypto wallets that fundraise terrorist organizations like like Hamas. Um, You know, we work in close with other treasury agencies, NOFAC, take action there. Um, You know, it's it's evidenced by some of the stuff that's out in the public. Um, Information provided by financial institutions is critical here, though. You know, especially such as, you know, U.S. persons who donated uh, there. You know, you've got the beneficial ownership database out there that kind of impacts all of us, right, um, depending on, you know, where you sit. I mean, that information, um, you know, I feel is going to be critical to law enforcement. Um, I think, you know, we're, it's, it's implemented, uh, you know, full usability of that beneficial ownership uh, data. Um, I mean, it's, it's not expected right away, but we're working through that. But I think that's going to be critical for us. I think the other thing, probably for the AML community, and something that's on our mind, um, and I'm going to be asking for help with, when you talk about scams, like uh, think about like romance schemes, uh, elder fraud abuse. um, You know, these types of schemes create like unwitting money mules. And that continues to be on the rise. Um, And, you know, again, that sophistication coupled with digital assets, and, you know, encrypted communication, um, it continues to present challenges in law enforcement, um, and I suspect and know, actually, within the financial industry. So we're addressing these challenges through, you know, increasing investments in data analytic tools and other investigative techniques. But, you know, this is where collaboration with our financial partners is invaluable. So, yeah. so you I know, think, I think... Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Sorry. Oh,
1: yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to close, but go ahead. No,
0: no, know. no. Go, no, I was just going to say I know that the uh, community would welcome uh, you to reach or your folks to reach out because they want to continue to work with you on all these topics and these things are also so important to society in yeah. general. But uh, go ahead. Let, let go ahead and close. I-
1: Oh well, I, I think, they, boy, you, 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 you hit it spot on, and I, I, I was going to close with something very similar. I mean, you know, even getting back to the importance of BSA data, you know, there's a need in all these areas for continued due diligence with the bank filing, you know, an effort to help law enforcement root out bad actors, you know, all in an effort to help make the American public safe. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this, John. It's going to be critical for law enforcement to focus on partnerships, you know, around the globe, especially in a P- public-private partnership setting, you know, just to keep pace with fraudsters out there trying to take advantage of people. And my division here at IRS Criminal Investigations fully embracing public-private partnerships. You know, in fact, we know and understand that nobody in law enforcement can be successful these days without embracing PPPs. We all know it. And so, I mean, the more we embrace it and devote time and resources to, you know, cultivating those partnerships, the more successful we're going to be. And that's why you see, you know, so many of my folks and leadership around the country out at all these events just trying to establish, strengthen, and maintain, you know, these you know, uh, critical partnerships with the uh, with private industry, specifically the financial institutions. So, uh, John, yeah, so, thank yeah. you for
0: so much. Jim, Jim Lee, Chief IRSCI, thank you again so much for what you and your agency do, your work with uh, everybody within the AML community. Uh, you're looking at, at metrics, uh, giving us the feedback that becomes necessary to ensure that people realize what we know, and that is the data does get used, reviewed, and analyzed, uh, and that's also a message that we in the private sector need to continue to mention. I've sort of kidded my friend, and you know him too, Steve Gerdak, who's part of the Northern Virginia uh, SAR review team. I said, we should have buttons made that say SARs do get red, (laughs) you know, because of all the things that you do. So, Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And especially sharing with us the update on the BSA uh, data challenge that you've given to your agency. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you hot off the press. You got it, John. Thanks for your time.